Hello and welcome to the Bubble Book Club, the fortnightly podcast where we interview a successful author and find out the inspiration behind their book. We also drill down into some of the core themes they've written about and talk about how they navigate parenting. At Bubble, we're passionate about books and book clubs. And let's face it, we haven't been going out to discuss anything interesting recently. So we wanted to give you an excuse to form your own book club with friends and then get those book clubs back off the ground. So join our book club journey and enjoy. I'm excited today because on the um, Bubble Book Club, which is our book club where basically every two weeks we talk to a different author and basically encourage you to either start your own book club with a group of friends or you obviously can use these books in your own existing book club because let's face it, a lot of us haven't been probably going out and doing book clubs much of late. And today we're going to be talking about a very exciting book which I really enjoyed called Underbelly and I've got Matt Farr-Carson who is one half of the powerhouse authoring duo. Um, His partner is Anna Whitehouse. They've written quite a few books together. And in fact, I did go to one of your book launches, which I think was, it wasn't Where's My Happy Ending. It may have been Parenting the Shit Out of Life. Um, You've basically become a sort of, I'm trying to think, it's not the two Ronnies, that's not a good analogy, but a sort of a a partnership of authors who kind of talk about the struggles of parenting, relationships. You're also writing fiction. And anyone who follows either of you on social media will also be aware of the fact that you stand up for a lot of big causes like flexible working for parents and affordable childcare and uh, generally a sort of turning into... um, very famous people indeed. So thank you, Matt, for agreeing to be on today. Well, thanks very much for having me. Thanks very much for uh, inviting me along. Let's talk a bit about this book, Underbelly. We will be giving um, some of our followers and listeners um, a copy. They can win a copy. Um, Let's first say, brilliant, that it's Sunday Times bestseller as well. Um, Did you expect that? Uh, Not really. I don't think you can ever expect that. It was very exciting to see that it landed. It just sort of scraped into the top 10 in that first week uh, and has been ticking along nicely since then. So that's obviously always uh, a nice thing to see. It's a nice thing for the publisher. They get very excited because they can slap that on the the next reprint of the book and have Sunday Times bestseller across the top of it, um, which uh, helps, I think. But it's just always nice to know that um, the idea of a book is connected with people. Um, is always encouraging. And in it, we have two characters. And I guess what's interesting is that, I mean, I'm on social media quite a lot myself and was kind of, I suppose, sort of part of that first wave of kind of mum influencers that sort of came to to being. But you've got one um, character who is very much into social media and sort of, I suppose, sort of on the looking from the outside in seems to have the perfect kind of life. And then you've got somebody who's very much the the struggling sort of underdog a bit. And it's a lot of the book is about their relationship, but also, I, I guess, offering a really unique insight into the dynamics of social media. And, and I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that. Well, I suppose the important thing was what we really wanted more than anything else was to create a story about two women and their relationship and how they misunderstood and misinterpreted each other and how that affected how they treated each other and write a book that was really about the complexities of female friendship but also how women sometimes view each other and how their views of each other can become 
distorted by these fairly superficial layers that go on top. One of those is social media, but we didn't just want to make it a book about social media. There is also a veneer of um, the aesthetic of how they look. There's also the veneer of uh, their perceived class. There's also the veneer of what they do for a living and the veneer of um, how they're seen as a parent and how they're seen to parent. And all of these things are masks, I guess, thin veneers that we put on top of ourselves that are open to misinterpretation. And that's an awful lot about what the book is about, I suppose, that two women who, from the outside, are living parallel lives in that their kids go to the same school, they live round the corner from each other, but effectively living in completely different worlds because of how they're experiencing those lives and uh, to a certain extent their background and their financial situation. But also that... There is more that unites them. There is more that they have in common than perhaps they initially realise when they get past these veneers of social media and class and all the rest of it that um, that sit on top. Mm. And I think it feels like such a, I don't know, it feels like such an interesting debate um, because they do have a lot of things in common. Um, I mean, Having having think having sort of thinking about the sort of social media angle of things, do you sort of because you and Anna both use it for what I would describe as kind of social good, you know, sort of campaigning and trying to raise awareness. But then there is quite a kind of there's always a slightly dark side, isn't there, where people say, you know, it makes me feel stressed and a bit under pressure because I see people who seem to have, you know, perfect lives. And, and as a parent, sometimes if you're having a bad day and you tune in at the wrong time and you suddenly, you know, you see someone who seems to be serving a really healthy lunch for their kids and is also, you know, ticking off their business at the same time and is maybe booking a lovely holiday. Do, what? How, where do you net out as a kind of dad in terms of kind of, do you sort of feel like it's generally can be used in a really positive way, but there is obviously this, this sort of more difficult side too I think it's a real mix and I think no one really knows the full impact of it at the moment social media is such a new thing relatively speaking in terms of the human experience and how we interact with each other that we are something of a guinea pig generation and a lot of the things that happen to the characters in the book are very negative and very harmful and partly driven by their interaction with social media now None of those things are based on real events that have happened to us or happened to Anna specifically, but the feelings around that, the emotional impact, the mental impact is true, is real. Um, It's something that has served us well in some regards in that a cause that we believe in very strongly that we think could have a very positive impact on people's lives, we are able to to promote and push and bring into the public eye a lot more. Uh, It's also been useful because more so at the beginning and less so now, it was something that we used to generate an income as well. It's, you know, we did ads and things like that. It was also something that I think Anna originally felt a really big connection to because when we started to talk quite openly about things like miscarriage, for example, or struggles of working life, she got so many supportive messages from people that uh, she found personally very helpful, but also messages from people who said, thank you for sharing this experience. I haven't been able to talk about this. This makes me feel stronger about going to talk about it myself. It helps me to understand 
understand there are other people in similar situations. And all of those elements are quite positive, but there is also the negative aspect. One of the things that she talked about quite a bit when we were originally talking about the ideas for the book was how low she felt at certain points when our first child came along and she was breastfeeding in the middle of the night and I was asleep and it was 3am and she was going through all of those feelings that I think are quite common to new parents and mothers in particular of feeling disconnected from your previous life and worried about finance and worried about the impact this is going to have on your career and worried if you're doing the job well enough and if you can do it for the next 20 years and all of those things and she'll be breastfeeding and in her hand she'll be flicking through Instagram and at three o'clock in the morning it was when all the pictures of girls in California were popping up in bikinis having amazing lives and her thinking oh my god this is I'm seeing so much of what I can't have never did have but now definitely won't ever have and that makes me feel terrible and I'm in this vulnerable position so there is an awful lot of that element to it as well I think there's a real oversimplification about social media where people say it's a terrible thing it's doing nothing but harm or people say it's a great thing it's bringing people together it's bringing all of these opportunities uh, for making a living to uh, a lot of women who've been nudged out of the workforce by having kids and so on. And the truth, as always, is somewhere in between. And that was one of the things that we wanted to try and convey in this book as much as possible. There isn't a goodie and a baddie. There are two different characters who make good and bad decisions. And at times they are kind to each other and at times they are cruel to each other and a lot of that comes down to basic misunderstanding and forming simple conclusions about each other based on their behavior or based on what they see online and what we wanted to try and get across in all aspects of the book not just the bits about social media but in the ideas of motherhood and female friendship was nuance that the truth lies somewhere in between and that was one thing that we always tried to keep front of mind we didn't just want to do a to write something that said, social media is terrible, stop using it. We didn't want to write something that said, it can be amazing, bring people together. In all of these aspects, we wanted nuance. We wanted the gray bits in between these black and white statements that tend to exist. And I think that's interesting because the sort of parallel obviously there is that social media sometimes can be very binary. You know, it's very sort of like, this is bad, this is good. Um, and sometimes not so good for sort of provoking debate or saying, you know, there's nuances, there's things that, and so often you sort of find the negative side of social media is that people just tend to go, oh, I'm blocking you or, oh, I don't like you. Or, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. So I think that's what's, that's what's lovely about the book is, as you said, it's not about trying to say this is right or wrong. Um, it's about people and their individual behaviour and the choices they make at different times. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that we're led slightly by an algorithm that for the fact that it has there's something like 500 different data points i think in the instagram algorithm that um, affect what you're shown and what of yours gets shown and so on and that sounds like a lot but actually it is still a pretty simplistic thing and it's a simplistic thing designed to interpret the feelings of very complex creatures we are incredibly complex creatures as humans our emotions are very hard for us to describe from time to time let alone for a machine to understand it might understand that we've watched a video about football so maybe we like to see things about football or that we've read an article about potted plants for the home but it doesn't understand all of the other aspects all of the bits that make us human about what we're feeling at that time about whether we're 
angry or sad, whether we just had a bad day, whether we're worried about money, all of those other elements are overlooked or ignored. And it takes a very simple, like you say, slightly binary take on us and who we are. And it tends to feed that simple view of us and encourage it. And that's what tends to affect how we view other people as well. And this is one of the things we talked about, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, was the idea that this veneer that gets put on top of a person is very two-dimensional. We're making these 2D judgments about a 3D person because we see them in this little square. And that was something we were hoping to try and get across as well in a book that is hopefully a nice, easy, entertaining read. And you could ignore all of those levels and not think about them in any great depth if you don't want to. And that you can rip through fairly quickly and hopefully in a satisfying way. Mm. And tell me a little bit about, because obviously, how do you actually go about writing? Because you've got two children. I think your as your youngest has just started school or, or preschool, I think. And I mean, writing is notoriously, well, it's obviously very time consuming. And also it's very hard to to sort of do when you're being disrupted by small people coming in and out of rooms. And how, how do you manage to do that alongside all the other things that you're doing day to day? Yeah, it's definitely, it's a challenge. Uh, and it's also a challenge writing a book with your partner. Uh, I think we would both say no one wants to, because you have to be quite honest about the bits that you think are good and the bits that you think are bad. And actually what you want from a partner is just unyielding support and encouragement and actually when you're working on something like that together you do have to say quite honestly well maybe this bit doesn't work I'm not sure that bit's believable and we have to say that to each other uh, and so that is always a challenge and there are definitely moments where you have to sort of hold your breath and put your ego in your pocket and think about the end product uh, but it's the third book that we've written together the first two were non-fiction so we're both journalists um, by trade originally and so we were using our journalistic skills picked up over the previous decade or so on. And so that made it relatively straightforward. And also we had very specific bits of each book to do. So for both Parenting the Shit Out of Life and Where's My Happy Ending, there would be a bit from Anna, a bit from me. Basically, it was the format all the way through, fairly straightforward. Um, so we get two different perspectives on a, on a topic. And, you know, we could talk to each other about what bits were interesting or not, but... It was our own perspective. So we couldn't really say, well, that bit, you can't say that, or that's boring, or what have you. This is a piece of fiction was in some ways a little bit more liberating because you can make stuff up in the simplest sense. But also it was a bit more of a challenge, I suppose, because we were challenging each other a little bit more about the two main characters. And the core of this book, the emotional heart of the book, came completely from Anna. So it was an idea that she had about two different women who misinterpret each other and a vague idea about what happens and how we want people to feel at the end. And she wrote a first couple of chapters for that. Then the sort of plotting bit, the structural bits of what happens and when it needs to happen were mostly me. We did a draft together, just handing bits backwards and forwards, because you're right, writing a book is a laborious process. And sometimes it's something that just flies out. Sometimes it's something that you really have to work through every day. And you do that around two kids and chunks of it were written in various lockdowns and through homeschooling and so on. But the advantage of having two people is 
One of you can pick it up at one time. One of you can look after the kids. Were you arguing about who would do the writing and who would look after the kids? Because I know, I know my partner and I are often like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll um, we've got a shed that we can work in. So it's like, can we just, can I be the one who goes and does the writing today? Or was it, was it kind of actually, no, it's nice and uh, it was fairly democratic in terms of how it netted out? Uh, we were always kind of arguing about who would do which bit, because what you always want with writing is a bit more time. You want time to sort of sit and go back over things and edit and think and so on. And so there were always kind of minor disagreements about that. But what we found was... We sort of raced through the first couple of drafts of it and did that quite quickly and didn't worry about things that we weren't completely happy with. We just got it done. And then we tore it in half again. And Anna took one character and I took another character. And then we could just focus on those characters, on their voices, on their phrasing and dialogue and really get to know them. And when we had discussions about what should be happening, we found that each of us could advocate for that character and how they would act in a much more clear-sighted way, I think. And so that made it a bit more straightforward. And actually, if you think, you know, a book is 90,000 words, typically for a novel, you're only doing half of that each, effectively. I mean, you know the other person's half in huge detail, and there's probably not a single paragraph in the book that hasn't been influenced at least a little bit by both of us. But doing it as a pair actually, I think, made it um, an easier process, despite those sort of debates and discussions and tensions when you're doing it as a husband and wife, but made it a little bit easier because there was someone to bounce ideas off, there was someone to correct and realign at each stage. And I think we got to a stage where we're quite good at, at doing that together. Um, and I was going to ask, actually, because this is sort of not related to writing so much, but there's been so much post sort of pandemic of sort of saying that parenting roles are maybe shifting, you know, with fathers maybe spending more time at home. Um, have Has there been more of a sense of sort of being more involved with their kids than they were before? On a personal level, did you notice sort of, have you, I don't know whether you were going out to a, you know, outwork a sort of office environment before and we're spending more time at home. Because I think this it's interesting that I was thinking if one positive thing could come out of this whole terrible time of, you know, that we've had in the last 18 months, it might be that we can start saying that fathers are playing a bit more of an active role in their kind of, in the child sort of division of labour. Did you find that that was happening a little bit or have you observed that at all? Or do you think, sadly, because I, I know there's so much that's been said about the kind of mother load and how much mothers are kind of carrying generally. But d did you find it was getting a bit more equal because you were both both at home all the time? We've always been relatively equal in that distribution of labour in that, and it really is labour, a labour of love, but it's labour, it's graft, uh, looking after the nippers. Because we have both been relatively flexible and freelance over the last sort of five years and actually me much longer than that, basically for about the last 10 years. So even before our eldest was born, I was a bit more in charge of my own time and didn't necessarily need to be in an office in certain hours. I was always freelance for people. So 
it's generally come down to who's got the most flexibility to be able to shift their day. And quite often that has been me. And so we've been relatively even from the outset, I think, the two of us. Um, not through, I mean, partly because, you know, I've wanted to, but there's not any sort of huge altruistic, I must do it this way, I must smash the patriarchy by raising my own children sort of thing. It's just that's how it's worked out logistically. But I think the broader effect... Uh, has actually been much the reverse from the things that I've seen. Um, and these reports that have come out saying women's roles are returning to the 1950s, women are doing much more of the domestic stuff as well as trying to keep up their jobs. And it's women's careers that have suffered more through the pandemic than men's. And typically that comes down to money. One of the things that we looked at in a bit more detail in Where's My Happy Ending was how finance and domestic the domestic load uh, has an impact on uh, relationships and while income levels are shifting and in the UK and the US at the moment in uh, straight couples something like a third of those cases uh, the woman actually now earns more than the man so there is a shift and there has been a shift over the last sort of 10 years or so but typically when there's a domestic crunch it's whoever's earning less that has to step away from work because that just tends to be what makes sense and that happens uh, in gay relationships as well there's been a bit of research done on that and it basically tends to come down to who earns the most and typically in society at large at the moment that tends to be the man and so the broader trend I think off the back of the pandemic is actually that a lot of women are finding they're taking on more of the domestic bit and um, you know when there are competing zoom calls and what have you it's maybe tended to be her that's had to make way. And so actually, I think there's a, a worrying broader trend of a step back in a lot of these areas where there's been progress over the last 10, 20 years. Yeah, that's so interesting. I remember having a conversation with somebody outside the school gates because there was a, I think they were working from home and they'd got an office and it was a father. And he was sort of saying, I can't do homeschooling and work at the same time. And I said, well, what about your partner? What's she doing? Because she was working as well. And he said, well, she's working downstairs in the kitchen doing the homeschooling whilst working. And I said, well, just have a little think about that because what you're sort of saying is that her her work is less valuable or, you know, she's better equipped to sort of do the multitasking that you're saying that you, you can't do. So I think it's, it's super interesting. But maybe one of the positive things is we are having a discussion about it more now. Yeah, there's more awareness, I think. Um, and that awareness was growing before the pandemic too. Uh, but it's, I think, brought it into a sharper relief for a lot of people and made them realise that maybe a different way has to has to exist. Mm. So what are your plans in terms of um, next books? Have you got another sort of non-fiction title on the agenda or, or what are you and Anna have think, thinking of doing? Are you taking a pause from writing for a bit? Um, we've got another, um, we've got a few fiction ideas that we're sort of working through at the moment that we are just refining and refining and refining. One is potentially following on from this theme and potentially taking one or two of the characters along. But refining an idea does take a while, I think, because there are quite a few others, other competing ideas that we also want to do. So the difficulty is deciding which one to invest your time in because it's a huge amount of time. You basically, you have to have thought through an awful lot about some made up people and what they would do and what would happen that would potentially be interesting and funny and, you know, uh, 
feel dramatic and exciting at the same time without and all of these things before you can work out whether it's a good enough thing to pursue and spend months and months and months writing 90,000 words on so we're working through that a little bit at the moment um we can't say too much about underbelly but in terms of who has optioned it but it has been optioned as an idea of tv which is quite exciting so that's something that we're looking at at the moment and we'll be able to say a little bit more on that in a couple of months but that side of things is quite slow i think so something may or may not happen there but it feels like something that could work uh, uh on the screen and so on so Hopefully we'll have a bit more to say about that at some point down the line. But yeah, we definitely want to write more books and fiction, but also non-fiction. There are a couple of ideas there that we want to work through, but we're having a little bit of a breather uh, in that, you know, life has been a little bit hectic, I think, for everybody, obviously. And in terms of workload for both of us at the moment, uh, Anna's uh, also got a lot of radio commitments at the moment, which is loads of fun and she loves doing but it's also you know it's quite time consuming and uh, it's quite performative as well you know you have to be up and perky and sharp for quite a long period of time to quite tight timelines and so you know three hours on air feels like a full working day do you know what I mean you don't necessarily want to sort of sit there and try and do 500 words at the end of that so we're sort of balancing all of that it's going to hopefully be a relatively calm next few months um, and then during that time, we'll work out what book's next. We've, you know, got all the day job stuff too and the kids and what have you. So that'll be hopefully a slightly more relaxed winter. Well, listen, thank you so much, Matt, for taking part in the podcast. As I said, we will be giving some of our listeners and followers copies as well so that they can read through it in their own book club. Because I think that's one of the lovely things about having a book club is that you can you get the opportunity to sit and do something on your own and then discuss it a little bit as a group and find out whether you agree or disagree about the motivations of different characters. And like you said, there's lots of these deeper themes as well, which hopefully will, you know, be helpful for people to sort of think about how do I feel about social media how do I feel about the way that I feel when I suddenly log on and and it's the wrong time of day and I I see the thing that sets me off in an anxiety world for example um thank you very much and um yes and we're very excited about all your other projects too and I hope that it does come on tv because I will definitely be sitting I'm I know you can't say who it is but I'm sort of envisaging a kind of Netflix kind of binge watch potentially Well, fingers crossed. Who knows? But uh, yeah, well, thanks for having us on. Um, I hope people enjoy it if they read it and it sparks off some conversations. We've actually added some book club questions to the end of the audio book too. Some things that we thought uh, might be questions that people have. But yes, hopefully book club enjoys it. And thank you very much for having me on. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tune in for our next episode in two weeks time. Also, follow us on Instagram at bubble underscore childcare and message us with your thoughts and any authors you'd love us to feature in the future. Also, share, like and leave a review. Here's to celebrating the return of going out and having our own book clubs. 